There's a work that God is doing in this church. Amen. Amen. God is stirring something. He's preparing something. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the people of this church, of Banner Church, who are just ready to press into it. If you're new here, maybe your friend brought you here, I just want to say welcome. I know I look like the youth pastor, but I'm actually the senior pastor here at Banner Church. Lead pastor. There's nothing senior about me yet. Um, um, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. I do have a lot of gray hair. That's the children um, and church planning. And uh, But I'm just so thankful to be here with you. And I've heard a lot of things as, as we've been meeting so many new people who've come in and they've said, well, I don't feel like I really fit in church because of this or this or this. And usually they're like all the factors about me and then like my close friends. People say, I don't know if I fit because of the tattoos. And then like the first people we meet in the door is like me and Jake and we are covered in tattoos. <laughs> so I just want to let you know, like, you're welcome here. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, but you're also in a place that really believes that your life is special, that believes that God has a great plan and purpose for you. And so, man, we're believing for God to do something incredible in your life. And so people come in all the time to Banner Church, and like, God, there's some stuff that they're wrestling with. And uh, we want to come alongside and encourage you in that. You're at a church that values others, that values the kingdom. Seen a lot of people wearing their Kingdom Builders shirts today. So cool. Um, this week, I was just so proud of Banner Church. Can I just brag on you guys for a second? is that we had one of our students, we have some students who are part of the Masters of Divinity program at GCU. Uh, we have uh, a lot of GCU students actually who come. Lopes up. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, they, uh, we have two, two students especially, Gamma and Gilbert, who are from Africa, and they're over here doing the Master's Divinity program. Incredible. If you haven't met them yet, please meet them. So cool. Uh, but, but Gamma's mother passed away suddenly, and so he wanted to fly home, but obviously that's a lot of money to fly back. Uh, back home, and uh, he has a family, has a lot, a lot of things, a lot of needs, and so uh, I, we just put it out to our church. I said, well, you know, brother, I'll just ask. We don't have a, you know, a line item for this, but I'll just ask, and we put it out, and like within the first few hours almost, it seemed like everyone gave so generously, and I told Gianna, we were like, okay, well, let's, you know, see what happens, and I told Gianna, she's like, Literally, people have given, and then I shut the fund down, and then people were just going to other and writing his name. <laughs> so amazing. So you guys gave so generously to not only cover his flight, but, but some of his expenses as well. And I just think, man, that's such a testament to you guys at Banner Church that we are not a church of one personality, that we have some fun personalities here at Banner Church. But uh, we're about Jesus Christ. We're about his kingdom because his kingdom is life. His kingdom is eternal life. And man, there's nothing like it, right? And there's nothing like the kingdom of God. So we're here to celebrate that, to be a part of that together. And uh, man, it's just so cool what, what God is doing. We've got lots of projects like that. We've really been turning our, our, our church in what we believe is the current of the Holy Spirit and seeing him move. We've been seeing healings. We've been seeing life change. And, you know, we got all, all kinds of things we're teaching. And we had, we had a course on the prophetic. All these kind of things that, that we are, are operating in and moving in because we believe in what God is doing. We believe um, to, to flow in the current of where God is moving his church. That's why we love our GCU students. We love our, our young adults, young professionals. We got some good events coming up for you guys because we just love that generation too. So full of the spirit, igniting uh, this nation with the fire of God. It's really incredible. 
want to want to talk today in Second Samuel. If you got your Bible, if you just go there with me, Second Samuel, chapter seven. Have you ever received an answer that you didn't like? Right, everybody. Right. When I was a young kid, I remember I I tried to pick an example that wasn't too heavy to begin with. Uh, but when I was a young kid, I tried out for a musical, and. Uh, <laughs> I knew nothing about trying out for musicals, but there was this thing. I went, I went to this Christian school, and there was this thing called, it was like Salty's Songbook, Praise Book, Singing Songbook, just some weird Christian stuff. Leave it to Christians to name some childhood Bible character Salty. So odd. And uh, so I tried out for this musical because I knew kids that were trying out for Salty. I don't know. I don't remember anything about that program, so I'm not knocking it. But I, I tried out. There was like a musical and there's like a giant Bible to dance. I don't know. But I did sports. So I had no bandwidth or understanding for musical tryouts. So I went unprepared. I don't even know if I told my parents I was trying out for this. Uh, I went unprepared for musical tryouts because what I learned almost immediately upon arriving to musical tryouts is you had to sing. sing. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> uh, you had to sing certain songs. I didn't prepare a musical number. I don't know why. So they said, well, why don't you sing Amazing Grace? And I said, okay of which I knew about 12 words to Amazing Grace, right? Let's be honest. How deep could you get it? I mean, some of you, get on sing the whole thing. Some of us, let's be honest, middle school, how deep are you getting into ama Amazing Grace? Right, I mean, talking about 12-year-old me. And so the other problem with Amazing Grace is if you start too high, amazing, like, Right, like you're up there. That's not my, that's not my range. I don't, <laughs> so here I am like totally out of my depth and I give it my all because I figure, you know, the same thing that's true by giving 100%, 110%, you know, in soccer or whatever, that's going to translate. So I gave it everything I had. And at the end, the teacher goes, yeah, which is a bad start, <laughs> right? And she says to me, I still remember this, maybe singing isn't your thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Devastated, right? I mean, all my boys are outside already because they hear I'm trying out for a musical. So I got to go out tough face like, oh, this broad, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I got to act tough, right? I'm like, don't cry. Don't cry. Right? Because in my mind, that was not the answer I was expecting, to be honest. The deep irony of this is that I was a worship pastor for like a decade and like have albums. Like, you know, there's things that have like happened in my life. I'm still not a great singer, but like enough to not get that qual Thank you, Gaetano. But I remember in that moment being like, that is not the answer that I, ex that I expected at all. It's a pretty hard roast from a middle school teacher just in general, but I get it. I, I get it. Sometimes in life, we don't always get the answers we want, right? In fact, often, I feel like a lot of life is navigating getting the answer you didn't want. And when we're little, we're like, yeah, but I had good intentions. And I had good desires. And like, you know, like, but as we get older, we recognize like, man, even if you have good intentions, sometimes you're not getting the answer that you want. Sometimes with all the good intentions, you still hear no. Sometimes you feel like, I feel like this would be great for the kingdom. And God says no. Where my believers at for a long time, amen? 
Sometimes you're like, this makes sense in the kingdom. I should do this. And God says, no, that's the hardest no. Cause you're like, dude, I'm doing this for you. If we were doing me stuff, it would look a lot worse than this. I thought I'm trying to like, I thought you wanted this. And it's hard when you feel like God says, no, I, Lord, I thought I heard you. I thought I figured this is what you want. And he says, no, man, I've had God say no to me. Have you ever had God say no to you? I got to say, I haven't always responded the best when God has said no. I had to grow in that a lot. But what I love in 2 Samuel is how David responds when the answer looks different than what he wanted. Let's go there. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. I like these lights on. This is nice. You can read your Bible. You guys like this? It's a little different. Whoever did this by accident... It's a good job. It won't come up in staff meeting tomorrow. It looks good. Under missing, broken, and confusing, this, this will be positive. It's good. I like it. It says, now, when the king, who's the king? Oh, man, we're going to start slow. We're Pentecostals. <laughs> who's the king? Hey, there we go. We got there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm so high up here in the lights. The only way I know you're even here is just talking talking with me. Let me know that we're okay. We're reading the word. And he lived in his house. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest, say rest, from all his surrounding enemies. Let's pause there. We're in 2 Samuel. Uh, Barry preached an incredible message last week. How many just love the message that Barry preached? Talked about bringing in the ark. Uh, amazing. Honestly, I've heard so many preachings on that uh, message and that was probably the best one I've ever heard. If you have not heard it, you have to go back. I don't think I've taken that many notes in a sermon in like 10 years. So good. But it says, the Lord gave David rest from his surrounding enemies. Who gave the rest? What would we call, let's take a guess together. We'll work together here today. What would we call rest from war? Peace. So he gave him rest from his enemies. He gave him rest from his war. So he gave him what? Peace. Who's the prince of peace? Jesus. That's so why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, to who? The prince of peace. All who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. He can say that because he's the prince of peace. He is rest. So you can take a nap, but true rest is given by God. When we come into relationship with God as his children, we receive his rest. You still with me? So if you need peace or rest, you need Jesus. Because you can take a nap, but he will give you true rest. He will give you true peace. And maybe this is like too early for an altar call and salvation moment in the sermon. But if you're new to Christ, I just want to hear you say, regardless of what you've heard about him, he is the place of rest for your life and peace for your life. Like, is he going to change things in me? Yes, he is. Isn't that good? Just happy with everything the way it is in your soul? Now we want God to do something in our heart and in our soul. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2. It says the king, who's the king? David and Jesus. Good job. Someone's skipping ahead. <laughs> no, it's good. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. See that? I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do the, all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. 
That phrase, house of cedar, we're going to hear that a couple times. To build a house of cedar or saying, I live in a house of cedar, he's not literally just talking about the planks of wood that make up the structure. It was a symbol of authority and providence. It was like, I have a house of authority and glory and God is in a tent. And David is a little upset by this. David loves the Lord. So he's like, wait a second, how come I'm in a house of glory? God's living in a, in a tent. That seems wrong. He's God. I'm man. He should have a temple. And that was like a really common practice in the day is that kings would build temples for their God. They'd build these signs of glory for their gods. Because it said something, if you lived in a palace and your God lived in a tent, that would be in the context of the ancient Near East, shocking for the average civilization. That the because the king would be afraid to not give enough honor to the God of the city and therefore not be under a blessing. So they would build them a house of cedar so that they could receive the blessing of that God's presence, hopefully, even though it, it never came because they're made out of stone and iron. Are you still with me? So David's like, wait a second. I want the blessing. I don't want him in a tent. And Nathan says, yeah, the Lord's with you. Go and do whatever you want. Which is interesting because what we're about to read says that Nathan didn't consult the Lord about that at all. It just seemed like a good idea. Like, oh, that seems reasonable. That makes sense. Yeah, build him a temple. Like, build the temple of God. Who's going to say no to building the temple of God? But look at verse 4. Are you still with me? Okay. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Okay, now God's talking. And what you're about to read, and we'll read it in chunks, is the longest monologue of, of Yahweh since Moses. This is the longest chunk of Yahweh, the creator of the universe, speaking since Moses. If God starts monologuing, that's a great time to pay attention, right? God's like, listen, I got a monologue for you. Let me lay this out. That's a super prime moment to pay attention, right? When God speaks, we pay attention, amen? says, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. He said, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Okay, totally different than what he thought. He says, I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? Those are the leaders before the kings. The judges were the God-appointed leaders before the kings. He said, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd? Somebody say shepherd. Hold that word in your mind for a little bit. Shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? This is a fascinating response because on the surface, it's like, David's like, I'm going to build him a temple. Like, let's, let's get him in here. I love the presence of God. I love being in the presence of God, right? None of this seems very negative at all. Like, I love the presence of God. Let's, I'm living in a palace. He's in a tent. We're in the promised land. Let's build the temple. And Nathan's like, yeah, man, that sounds great. You should super do that. And then later, God's like, hey, Nathan, remember your job is to speak from me, not just for me. He's like, okay, here's what I actually want to say. And he recalls this. He says, uh, when did I ask you to build me a house? Kind of like a who's in charge here dynamic, right? He said, when did I need you to establish my authority? Like, David, are you concerned that I might not have authority over this nation? 
He says, since the days of Egypt, my presence has been with you. And there's two ideas that are going to be so evident in this scripture here. They're so powerful. I just want to pull them out. Two words, presence and covenant. Big words for us as believers, presence and covenant. Presence and covenant. This moment of the promise to David that we're going to see is one of the most inspiring moments for the covenant that's going to come through Jesus Christ. But it doesn't live in isolation. It lives in the context of a work that God has been doing since the beginning of time. Are we still together? It's a work that God has been doing, presence and covenant, since the beginning. Let's go to Genesis just real quick. You don't have to flip there. Let's talk about when... God creates man and woman in the garden. He created them for presence, right? He created them to be with him in the garden. He created him for himself, that they would be with him. He said, be fruitful and multiply, but he created them for himself to be with him, to be in his presence. But what happened? It's one word, three letters. What happened? What happened? Sin. Sin, right? Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve choose to disobey God and set themselves up as God through their sin and their cast out of the garden. If you ever read Genesis, you're like, man, that seems so harsh that they would be cast out of the garden. That's kind of a mean move by God. Why didn't God just say like, hey, never mind. I know you're the first two to ever do it. You blew it, but like, you know, we'll just, we'll figure it. Why does he cast them out? Well, have you ever been in a dark room and turned on the lights? What happens to the darkness? It goes away. The same thing is true with the Lord and sin. By the nature of God being the perfect light, right? God is the perfect light. When God's presence is there, darkness has to flee. Darkness not only has to flee, but it is destroyed. And so if we're under sin, we're in darkness, we would be destroyed in his presence. But God says, I don't want to destroy them. I want them to be in presence with me. Are you with me? I want them to be in presence. I created you for presence. I want to be with you in presence. And so it says, God, God says, listen, I'm going to make a promise and a covenant in preparation for the presence that I want to have with you. So way back in Genesis, first book of the Bible, right? It says in verse, or chapter 315, he says, I'll put enmity, speaking, he's speaking to Satan here. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who's he talking about right here? Who's going to crush the head of Satan? Jesus. You guys are on it today. And then look what happens in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where did God get the skin from? An animal. Okay, so who was the first one to kill an animal to be sacrificed for the covering of people whose nakedness was revealed through sin? God. Who was the last one to make a sacrifice for the covering of our sin? Yes. Doing the work of his father, God. Are you still with me? We're okay with the deeper things of the Lord in Scripture? 
You're not going to come in here and be like, Pentecostals, they're just emotional. They don't get into the word. Welcome. We're in it. <laughs> right? Good? This is important. So God is still present with Adam and Eve, though they've been expelled from the garden, yes? Because he's present, because we know he's literally making them clothing. He's providing a covering of skins for them, because when they realized that they sinned, shame entered the world, and they noticed their nakedness, and they hid from the presence of God. So to bring them back into the comfort of his presence, he creates a covering for them, but it required that an animal, a life died to pay for the covering. Are you with me? Yeah. I don't want to go too fast, but I hope we're together. We're seeing the Messiah in Genesis. Everyone good? Alex is my brother. He loves Bible history, so he's with me. He's like, I'm already there. <laughs> so then the lineage goes from Adam, and it goes down, and it goes to eventually to Noah, and eventually it goes to Abraham. Covenant and presence. Genesis 12, 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Then here's what he says, Genesis 17, 7. We have this on the screen. It says, And I, the Lord speaking, will establish my covenant, say covenant, between me and your offspring, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting, what? Covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I'll give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Powerful, right? God promises Abraham, I'm going to be with you. You'll multiply, and from your whole line, the earth will be blessed, and I will be with you. If God is with you, it means you have his presence. He says, this is covenant. You'll be my people, and my presence will be with you. I know we're starting way back, but we're trying to get to the end. You still okay? Not in a building, but dwelling with you. And when you sacrifice, they would take a lamb and they would sacrifice a lamb and they would remember that the curse of death is sin, but because of the sacrifice, there is life because God longs for them to be in life, not in death, so that they might be in his presence. And from Abraham, the covenant goes to Isaac, and the covenant goes to Jacob. Does anyone know what God changed Jacob's name to? Israel. Yes. Man, you guys are on it today. This is amazing. And from Jacob, it goes to Joseph. And God's people are enslaved, but the, from Joseph, it comes to Moses. Moses is a great incredible man of God. The covenant comes to Moses in Exodus 6, 7. It says, I'll take you to be my people and I'll be your God. And you shall know that I'm the Lord, your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I'll bring you into the land. Look at, he's reminding him, right? What's he reminding him of? The covenant. I'll bring you into the land that I swore to give under Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, who was renamed to Israel, I'll give it to you for your possession, for I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. So what brought the people out of Egypt then? It was the covering of the covenant. When, when the people of God, and just, you guys are doing great. I don't need to stay with me, say stay with me, because you are. 
when the people of God were getting ready to come out, the, the plagues were upon Egypt, but they, they not only suffered some of them, they reproduced some of them. They were like, we can do this too. What changed it was the angel of death coming and judging the firstborn of Egypt. What covered the people of God so that they might be step into freedom and therefore covenant and therefore presence was, was the blood on the doorpost. He said, take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it on the doorpost. You're like, I'm new to church. This is a lot of talk about blood. You said, bring my friends today and you're talking about blood way too much. Let me, I'll explain. We, where does the life of our body live? And the blood, how do you teach a people how do you teach a people who are shepherds that the cost of sin is death, but by sacrifice, there is life? Well, through sacrifice. And you're not going to take a person and do it yet. Jesus hasn't come. So this is the symbol. They would take it and they put it over the door. And death came and passed over and they were released and they came out of Egypt to the land of the promise. And the first thing that God did is he renewed the covenant. So Exodus 19, do we have this up here? It says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, listen, Moses, this is what you got to tell the people. This is important. When God established covenant with his people, his promises were secured. Because the promises of God are secured by the presence of God. I said a lot of Old Testament stuff, so I'm going to say this part again. The promises of God are secured by the presence of God. God's presence is, was, is the defining mark of his people. It is not the type of church building. Thank goodness, Carson Jr. High right? It is not the style of your dress. It is not the size of your Bible. The defining mark of God's people is his presence. Amen? So God says, listen, I've taken you out of slavery into covenant, into presence, so I want to give you some rules of how to worship me. And part of the rules that he established was where his presence would reside. And his presence resided in a tent. Does anyone know what that tent was called? The tabernacle. And in the middle of the tabernacle, in the holy of holies, there was these layers that you, would get, you could get into, but only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies sat the ark of the? Oh, there's that word again. Isn't that crazy how God's not messing around with all of Scripture? Right? It was the Ark of the what? Ark of the Covenant. And what was the defining mark? What, what, does anyone remember what sat between the cherubim? As the cherubim sat, what resided between them? What resided in the covenant? The mercy seat. The glory of God. His presence. That's where the glory of God shone from. No matter where they went, the glory of God was there. I heard someone talking about this this week, and they said the inner, the inner holy of holies didn't have any windows. How did the high priest see what they were doing? How did they see? It went pitch black when you go in because the glory of God shone.
See, what made the temples of every god and earthly false god that they encountered, the people of Israel as they wandered, what made those temples great was their construction. But what made the tent greater than all of those things was the presence of God resting amidst the covenant. That's why he says in 2 Samuel 4, David, I have been present with Israel in every moment. I have been dwelling with you. What is he saying? Listen, David, I am trustworthy. I'm trustworthy to fulfill my promise because from the beginning, right, Genesis? I have been establishing and renewing my covenant so that I could dwell with you. Are you with me? That's no small thing. I have been working and operating and teaching and guiding and leading my people so that they could be the resting and dwelling place of my presence and so that they could become a beacon of my presence that I've come to bring to the earth that would be salvation for all people. Amen? No small thing. Covenant and presence. Second Samuel 7. Let's jump back there. Second Samuel 7 verse 8. Man, I'm warm. Anyone warm? No, we're good. Man, it's hot up here. It's the spirit, I guess, is up on the stage. <laughs> or the lights. One of those. <laughs> Man, pre-service prayer. Presence of God. So good. I love my sister, Kathy. I, Kathy, all, whatever you're saying, right there. Just so full of the spirit. And there was just such a longing to see and for us to press into what God has. And I'm like preaching this thing, but in my heart, I'm just praying the whole time that we're going to capture that longing as a church. It's so real. It's good. But I just appreciate you and Gary, your leadership. It's awesome. I'm sorry. We had a detour. You guys okay with that family? It's okay? Okay. If you guys have not connected, so powerful, that couple. They're brought by God to this church to stir up a new, a fresh spirit in us. Verse 8. Now, therefore... Thus, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people of Israel. A little reminder there. Like, hey, bud, I, I've been with you this whole time, right? I'm the one who took you from being a shepherd. Do you remember God said, I've been leading the shepherds since day one. So I took you to be prince over my people. He says, and I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Awesome. And I'll make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I'll appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over uh, my people Israel. And I will give you what? Rest. Rest from all your enemies. There it is again. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Wow. David did not need to construct a lifeless building to impress the Lord or to hope for his presence. God says, my presence has already been with you. It's been dwelling with you, David. David, when you were in a cave, my presence was with you. Yes, my glory was over the mercy seat. My glory was in the temp or in the tabernacle, but my presence was with you, David, when you were in the cave, when you were being chased. My presence was with you when you were in the field. See, 
David's thinking, I got to build God a house, and God's saying, I'm going to make you into a house. The dwelling place God was the most concerned about was the heart of David. That's what God was building, was the lineage of David. God's plans are often so much greater than we could ever imagine. David was thinking in the scope of what he knew, and what he knew was everyone around needs this temple, and they build these temples, and I'm in a, I'm in a great house, and God's in a tent, and God's saying, what's wrong with the tent? Was there not a cloud of glory? Was there not a pillar of fire? Was there not the presence of, is, it, is this making sense? Right? Was my presence not sufficient? Listen, if I want something different, I'll tell you because I'm the one in charge. You don't determine where my glory resides. My glory resides and you come to me. And if I want a house, I'll make my own. But the house I'm most concerned about, hear me, church, the house he said he's most concerned about is the lineage of David through the heart of the one who loves him. Because there's something greater that he's been trying to do since Genesis, not trying, he has been doing since Genesis 3, which is bringing about the one who would crush the head of Satan. David's like, what can I do for God? God's like, listen, it's more than a building. Because you're going to prepare the way for the Messiah who's going to make every believer a house of God. Sometimes it doesn't sound like what we want. And here's what he says, verse 12. Let's go back to the word. We're still on it together. Here we go. When your days are fulfilled, I'm going to need that snow cone. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. Say stripes. But with my steadfast love, I will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom, say kingdom, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Man, there's a lot there. As we interpret and understand scripture, there's two things happening. There's the present and the future promise. There's the present promise of Solomon, the son of David, who will come and will build the physical temple. But there's things here that are not immediate physical things. And there's things here that mirror what God has promised. This mirrors the covenant with Abraham. Both David and Abraham, same promise. God promises both a great name. God promises both in the future they will conquer their enemies. God promises both will have a special divine human relationship. God promises a special line of offspring that will perpetuate both of their names. God promises that the descendants of both will and must keep God's law to be in this uh, movement of his power. God promises that the offsprings of both would mediate an international, meaning beyond just Israel, blessing. So from the very beginning, God has been working to bring about the one who would crush Satan. Remember Adam and Eve, right? Crush the head of Satan. He establishes it with Abraham. He reestablishes it with Isaac. He reestablishes it with Jacob. He brings his people out of Egypt. He reestablishes his covenant with the people. And now here he is with David saying, listen, your son's going to build a temple. Your line is not going to end. That fulfills a 400-year-long promise from Judah. But something greater is going to happen. 
because from your line is going to come my son who will bear the stripes for iniquity. Are you with me this morning? Who will bear the stripes of iniquity and who will be punished by me, but who will bring about an everlasting kingdom. Amen? Amazing. He says the covenant's not going to end, but it will be made new because Jesus is the new covenant. Right? When Jesus gives communion, I love taking communion as a church. It's amazing. It's, it's one of my favorite things that we do. There's healing in communion. There's life in communion. It's so powerful. So, so, so powerful. We believe that they're a spiritual symbol of the blood and body of Christ that was sacrificed for us. We don't believe that they turn directly into the blood, but we believe they're powerful because they're the symbol. So when we take them, we receive them as the blood and body of Christ. There's healing in communion. There's restoration in communion. When Jesus teaches communion, he says, this is my blood. It's a new, what? Does anyone know? Covenant. What was it? Covenant, Covenant for you. Just as the lamb with Adam and Moses was a covenant, it was a covering. Jesus died to fully give us life, right? The, the lamb was, blood was shed, the symbol of life was spilled so that death would pass over and they'd be brought out of slavery into freedom. For us, Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood is a covering for us that if we would come under the covering of his blood, right? If we would come into the new covenant by his blood, that death passes us over and the wrath for our sins is paid, amen, through Jesus. And so we receive life and life eternal. We are now part of an eternal kingdom of God. Because we are in covenant, we have presence. It's our defining marker. You're like, listen, I'm new to hearing about Christianity. Let me just tell you the, the, the really important parts. When we surrender and we repent of our sins, we come under the covering and we receive new life. You're like, what about, I got to sing these certain songs. And like, listen, listen, this is, the, this is the key. We repent of our sins. We come under the covering. We receive new life. And because we're in covenant, we have presence with God. And because we have presence with God, we're anchored to the promises of God. David, he's got eyes for the temple, but God wants to build a temple through David, the way of the Messiah. That was a no to begin with, but like, a really good no, right? It's like bad news that turns out to be the best news ever. Hey, I'm not going to let you build me this temple, but listen, the entire earth's going to be saved through your lineage. It's like, cool, right? And here's the reality is we seek God's presence as we live in covenant with him. There's many times where we might get a no or a yes, or you might get an answer like, I don't even know what that means, right? I need some discernment and some wisdom. You get no response, right? You ever gotten no response? Ooh, that's almost harder. No response? A not yet? A not yet from God? Whew. How do we respond what I love about David, this is my last thought here, what I love about David is that David's response to good and bad news was the same. His response was presence. He says, I'm in covenant with God, so I'll go into his presence and I'll be angered to his promises. Are you with me? I'm in covenant with God, so I'll go into his presence and I'll be anchored by his promises. No matter the yes or no's, 
I'm in covenant with God, so I'll go into his presence, and I'll be anchored to his promises. No matter the situation, I have covenant with God, so I'll go into his presence, and I'll be anchored to his promises. The response is always presence. Go with me. This is the last time we'll be right here in 2 Samuel 7, 18. Go with me in your word if you got it. If you haven't opened your word yet now, go, just go there now. We'll even pause. You can go there. This is so cool. Even if you just get this first part, first verse. Verse 18, so strong. Then King David went in and, what does it say? Yes. Then King David went in and what, what did he do? Sat before the Lord. He went in and he sat before the Lord. And here's what he said. He said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you've brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. Like this was easy for you. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Like he's recognizing this isn't just about my house. This is for all mankind. Did you see that? This is for all mankind. David's been hearing about his house for a long time. David's been hearing about his house since the field, since the cave, right? God's like, I got a promise for you. He says, but he's recognizing this is for mankind. He says, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you've brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there's none like you, and there's no God beside you, according to all that we've heard with our ears. And who's like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before you your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever. He did that in the covenant. And you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord God, look at this, confirm forever. Did you see that? Confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning this house and do as you have spoken. That's a bold thing. Did you see this? Let me find it here. Confirm. Oh, here we are at the top. Confirm and do. Give it your yes and give it your let it be so. Right? What a response. God says, listen, David, I'm trustworthy. I have a plan for you. It looks different than you would expect. And David says, great, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit in your presence. See, church, we're always looking for a million responses. Ten ways to manage this. Five ways to manage this. Six ways to manage that. Ten responses to this. Listen, the best and singular response to the yeses, the noes, the ups, and the downs of life is to go in and sit in the presence of God. Are you with me? To sit in his presence. You and your kids are fighting. If they'll listen to you enough, go and sit in the presence of God with them. And I don't mean like sit, sit in the arm folded, like, all right, God, do something for me. That's not how he sat in the presence. You know how David sat in the presence? He sat like this, on his knees. You sit in the presence. You sit on your heels. You sit in the presence. This isn't a God prove something to me. This is a God I give you everything. Your kids won't go with you, go yourself. 
Man, you're having trouble in your marriage? Have you sat in the presence of God? I'm not talking about desperate prayer on the way to work. Those are great. Have you sat in the presence of God? Have you brought your spouse into the presence of God? Pastor, they won't listen to me. Great, then go yourself. If it's yes or no, God, we're, we're, or Pastor, we're just getting married. We're just beginning the relationship. Everything's great. Awesome. Have, do you sit in the presence of God? Because right now you're getting the yes, and it's great. But in the yes or the no, our response is to go into the presence of God. Lord, life is not looking the way I thought it would look. I'm not in the job status, the relationship status, the financial status. I feel like you led me to Arizona. Now I'm like, it's so hot. Why am I here? Sit in the presence of God in the air conditioning. Right? That's our response. We have so simplified our response as a church because I feel like we borderline overwhelmed you with options. And in the overwhelming, there's been under-responding. But we have one response, and that's the presence of God. That's the proper response. When we hear or read the voice, the word of God, we come into the presence, and we pray, and we worship. See, that's the difference between those who would receive and cling to the promises of God and those who wouldn't. Man, you guys can come up. Think about this. Jesus, fully God, right? Fully God. When Jesus, right? Jesus, fully God, yes? Yes. We need Isaiah here who can tell us a little Isaiah. Jesus is fully God. He tells everyone at preschool. Marcus told me. He tells everyone at preschool, Jesus is fully God. I love it. Raise a child up. Amazing. Jesus is fully God, right? When he came to earth, the presence of God, right? Jesus with us. But Jesus was not the answer the Pharisees were looking for, yes? They prayed and they prayed and the leaders prayed. 1,500 years, they prayed. Prayed and prayed and prayed. And God, they said, send us a warrior. And God said, No. Not like you think. Not like you want. He sends the Prince of Peace, the one who's lowly, who welcomes the outcast and the broken and the sinner. And so what did the leaders do? They rejected him. They prayed, send us a warrior. God said, I've been working a greater plan. It's got to be according to my plan. And they said, no, I don't like that answer. But there were people. There were people who chose to follow Jesus, right? His disciples and more, dozens of people, 72 and then a thousand. And they spent three years. What did they do for those three years? They sat in his presence. When the rabbi's teaching, where do you go? You sit at his feet and you learn. Probably here Martha and Mary are struggling. One of them's working to try to prove that God should care. Where's the other one? sitting at his feet right I didn't lose you I know it's I didn't lose you yet right okay sitting at his feet and so what happened because they chose to sit at his feet their lives and their eternities were transformed because they were in his presence they came under the new covenant and they were anchored to his promises and they saw things that we are still hoping to see you know, when Katie and I moved here to plant a church, was one of the hardest seasons, the first time we ever tried to move. We were prepping to, to come down here to plant a church, and in the, in the middle of that, there was a lot of turmoil that happened in the organization we were part of and the church we were part of. There was a lot of turmoil in our life. We lost our first child to, to miscarriage, and, I, and we went into prayer, and I felt like God said, man, now is just not the right time. I feel like God says that. He's like, it's a good thing, but it's not a good time. And I was so mad. Can I just be real? So upset with the Lord. 
And I was like, God, my wife is mourning. My life is miserable. Nobody here cares. I want to go. I want to go. God says, that's, that's not what I've called you to do. I said, okay. I felt like Jesus was asking us, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And I said maybe like a tentative yes. It's like, okay, I'm going to trust you. But every moment I'm going to have to trust you. Every moment I have to come into this space. And four years later, God made a way for us to come down and plant. And it's greater than we could have ever imagined. We've seen things happen and God is moving in ways that we couldn't even imagine. I just, I just love this church so much. I love what God's doing. I love what he's not only doing now, but what he's preparing. But we, we didn't get here because of some church planning strategy. We got here because for four years, my wife and I got on our face before Jesus in his presence at his feet and said, I'll respond to whatever you say. Yes, no, go, stay, whatever it is, every day in the presence of Jesus. That might be the single closest I've ever been to God was in that moment of suffering and an answer I didn't like, but we went into the presence and we just sat in his presence. And in his presence, we were anchored to his promises. In God's presence, we become anchored to his promises. Because in his presence, we recall the promises of God. And like David said, we say, God, if you spoke it and you, and you said it, would you confirm it and would you do it, right? If you spoke it, if you said it, would you confirm it and would you do it? God, in your presence, I'm angered in your promises. This is how David faced everything because David knew the covenant. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you come into the covenant, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So if you say yes to Jesus, you come under the covenant and you live with his presence fully within you. The spirit of God who has promised to us that we become full of the spirit. And as we walk in his presence, we feel anchored in the promises of God. And I love that phrase, God, confirm it and do it. Scripture says, yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is, why th that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Let me read that. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That's why it's through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All your promises have their yes and amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know what answers God has given you in your life today, but I believe that they all have their yes and their amen through Jesus. Amen? In this moment, we're going to respond and we're going to come and sit in the presence of God. For some of you, that might just look like kneeling down at your seat, but for a lot of you, it's going to look like stepping in and we, we call that an altar space where you step out and you step in as a movement, a posture movement like David, right? David didn't just sit down where he was, though God was there, he went in. There's, there's something about going into that space. It just, it stirs our heart, readies our heart. And there's people up here who want to pray with you as well. But we're going to respond today. Say, God, if you said it, would you add your yes and your amen? You're a trustworthy God. From the beginning, I hope we looked at anything today. We looked at it from the beginning. His plan has been good, yes? 
From the beginning, his promises have been good. From the beginning, he's been faithful. From the beginning, he's been a covenant God. From the beginning, he's been a presence God, right? And so if he's good then, he's good now. For he's unchanging and his love never fails. So this morning, we're going to respond because we are in covenant. We're full of his presence. And because we have his presence, we can be confident of the promises. But church, I believe it's time to step into the presence and begin over your life declaring the promises of God. Begin to speak the truth of the word of God. Begin to speak life over your family, over your marriage, over your home. Beginning to speak over your, over, over your physical health and say, God, I, I believe for you. I trust you. Whatever the answer is, I trust you and I believe. But I also declare life and I speak life. We're going to respond together today. There's two responses. Would you bow your heads with me? The first response is this. If you've never experienced the covenant of Jesus Christ, man, he's here to give you new life. And so often, the choice to follow Christ is given one or two ways. One, it's really soft. And it's like, yeah, do whatever, but also Jesus is neat. That's not going to set you free. The other one is like, you're wretched and God barely puts up with you, but if you dump all your junk on the floor, then he might have something to do with you. That's not true either. Here's what's true. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he does not want you to suffer the rightful judgment for your sins that you have chosen. But today, he speaks to you and he calls you to life. He calls you to presence so that through him, there is hope for your future and healing for your past. And if you would confess in your heart and say, Jesus, I confess of my sins and I confess you as my Lord. He says, I will be your Lord. You will be my son. You are adopted into my family and you will receive eternal life. He says, if anyone is in me, the old is gone and the new has come come. So if you're here and you're ready for the new, and you're tired of the old, and you say, I want eternal life through Jesus Christ, here's what all I want you to do. I just want you to lift your hand and put it back down and say, Jesus, I need new life through you. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that if anyone is in you, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we thank you today that as we say, Jesus, we repent of our sins to you and we lay them at your feet, that we receive the life and the love that comes from you, that you embrace every person who says yes to you as their Lord and Savior, and you invite them in, you adopt them into a spiritual son and daughtership right now, that they might be co-heirs with Christ and walk with you for eternity and also live in hope right now right now under the name of Jesus. We thank you in your name. Okay, here's our response moment. Are you ready, church? Here's our response moment. Are we ready for the Lord to move? Well, I guess he's already moving, so. <laughs> this is more about us responding as David did. I just invite you this morning to respond as David, regardless of what answer you're receiving, that you would come in and sit in the presence and respond to him and be anchored to his promise. Let me pray for you and I'm gonna release you. Jesus, we respond to you this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we step into your presence as David did. And we sit in your presence because we know that that's where life is. We know that that's where breakthrough is. We know that that's where hope is. We know that that's where restoration is. Yes, church, come on. 
Come on, if you agree, then agree. Yes, church, God, we believe that your healing is in your presence. We believe that the restoration of families is in your presence. We believe that the changing of hearts is in your presence. We believe that the breaking free of addiction is in your presence. We believe that the building up of strong identities in you and you alone is in your presence. We believe that the freedom from the struggles and the battles of mental health is in your presence. Yes, church, we believe that the restoration from anxiety is in your presence. We believe that joy for the depressed is in your presence. We believe that the knitting together of marriages is in your presence. We believe that the restoring of dreams is in your presence. So Jesus, we respond to you and we come into your presence. I invite you right now to respond to the calling of Jesus and come and just to kneel down or praise or stand in his presence. Say, yes, Lord, I come in into your presence and I'm anchored by your promise. Come forward. Let's respond together. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.